about that. Uh, my name's Jonathan. And I hate this thing. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series called Grace Stories. Uh, I direct your attention to an insert in the worship folder where you can find the passage we'll be working through this morning and on the back is an outline. And we're going to be in Matthew 18, so if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, go ahead and do that now. Uh, the, the series we're in is a series on the parables of Jesus and their connection to the gospel. And what we've kind of done is, as we came out of Galatians, we're trying to get at uh, how does Jesus address some of the things that Galatians addresses through his parables. Uh, and so the series really flows out of the series, the previous series we had on Galatians, uh, that the gospel is not do this so that God will accept you. The gospel is something completely different. It is that God accepts me because of Jesus, so I can do, so I can obey. Not I obey, therefore I'm accepted, but I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And the, the parable we're in today uh, is called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Uh, and I, I want to say at the outset, the parable today or the subject today is fundamental to understanding the message of Christianity. So if you're here, maybe unsure of Christianity, maybe for sure that you're not a Christian, uh, I want you to hear this because uh, it deals with a subject we all have struggles with, uh, and that is forgiveness. Whether you're a Christian or not, the, the fact is somebody has wronged you at some point in your life. Or you've wronged somebody else. If you have never wronged somebody, or somebody's never wronged you, uh, then you must have lived on the moon, or someplace where there are no people, uh, because it's bound to happen. That's just the reality of the world we live in. So I want you to think about two questions as we begin. Two, two, I think critical questions to think about as we go through. Number one: Have you experienced the mercy or forgiveness of God that is offered in Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that? And then secondly, has that experience of grace transformed the way you relate to others around you? But not just those around you, especially those around you who have wronged you. Okay. So number one, have you experienced that? Number two, has that experience transformed or gotten into the way you relate to people around you? Okay. So let's read together. Again, it's in the insert, or it's in your Bible, or it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to be in Matthew 18. We're going to start at verses 15 to 17 and then jump to the parable, which is in verse 21, okay? So here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Uh, the context here is very important, okay? So before you actually get into the parable, remember the context, and that's why I read verses 15, 16, and 17. Uh, keep in mind, this is an ongoing discussion between Jesus and his disciples. If you read through Matthew 18, really the whole chapter is Jesus teaching. And so as he's teaching through, uh, he gets to verse 15, and he's talking about interpersonal conflict, especially in the context of the church, because he says, if your brother sins against you, your brother or your sister sins against you. So we're talking about relationships within the church specifically. Uh, but he, he, he ends up linking that to this parable. Now, three things. What is forgiveness? Uh, why is it so hard? This is on the back for, uh, for those of you maybe wondering. Three, how do we get there? What is forgiveness? Why is it so hard? Uh, how do we get there? First, what's forgiveness? Look at, look at Peter's question. Uh, it's appropriate, I think, and, and very normal that what Jesus has just said would prompt a question. Because you and I, if we're listening in on this, uh, we're, we're going to say the same thing. Okay, it's fine. We uh, have to deal with unforgiveness. We have to deal with conflict, Lord. So then, Matthew says, Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? In other words, uh, there's an implication here inherent in what Peter asks. There's going to be a limit. Surely, Jesus, how many times is it going to take for somebody to sin against me and I can stop forgiving them? Or the forgiveness runs out. My units of forgiveness are gone. Okay, I've, I've, I've used them all up for the day. All right. So how many times will my brother come and sin against me? Because there's obviously a time or a point at which forgiveness becomes unproductive or unrealistic, right? I mean, seven times, 14 times, 100 times. Now, current teaching of the day, especially current rabbinical teaching, it had come to evolve over time to stress, okay, if a person forget, uh, if a person offends you, then you give them one, two, three times, you forgive them. On the fourth time, same person offends you, no more forgiveness. This is what the rabbis were teaching. So Peter comes up to Jesus, doubles the number 
and adds one, right? So how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? As if to say, come on, seven times. That's a lot. He, I mean, you know, he's trying to impress Jesus, trying to get, get in there and kind of snuggle up next to Jesus. Listen, if I forgive seven times, that's pretty impressive, don't you think? Now, Jesus' response, in typical Jesus fashion, he says, whatever the number, whether it's seven times, verse uh, 22, or 70 times seven. Now, whether you want to get into an argument as to whether this is 77 times, or some of your Bibles say, or 490 times, which is what 70 times seven is, who cares? That's not Jesus' point anyway. His point is, as many times as your brother sins against you, and as many times as he comes to you, you forgive him. As many times as you're offended, that's how many times you forgive. The point is, Jesus says your forgiveness should be limitless. Because, uh, quite honestly, if you're, at, if you're keeping tabs, if you're keeping track, and you're counting, and you've gotten up to 490 times, and you're counting the number of offenses this person has against you, I'd tell you to get a life. I mean, go find something else to count. That's going to get old. Okay? But Jesus is very clear. Uh, Peter, it's not seven times. It's 70 times, 70, 700,000 million times. Okay? And then he's going to go from there and launch into this parable. Now, he said something very similar to what he's saying here in Luke chapter 17. I want to read it to you. Luke 17, verse 3. Peter says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Listen to this. Then the apostles said to the Lord, okay. No, that's not what they said. They said, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And what's fascinating about that is Jesus begins talking about you being offended again, you, you being uh, uh, wrong, somebody offending you, he begins a little section on that by saying, pay attention to yourself. Not to the other person. Not, you know, when you're sinned against, focus in on how disgusting and wicked and nasty and offensive that thing was. No, no, he says, pay attention to yourself. So even when he's talking about being offended or a debt being created by someone offending you or doing something wrong against you or perpetrating evil against you. He's calling you to examine your heart first. It's incredible and totally antithetical to the way we do it. Okay, which is why we need to uh, read it, why we need to get in here and ask for God to humble us and teach us. Now, what forgiveness is not this is really verses 21 and 22. This is, this is what's driving Peter's question. This is the context of the day. And this kind of goes back to the last few weeks and speaking through, uh, or talking about parables like uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Good Samaritan. And what religious people like to do, excuse me, what we like to do is try and get a, a measurement 
or a standard of obedience that we can that we can cover, that we can achieve, that we can get. Uh, and we know then we've arrived. So the Pharisees would walk around. You know, we forgive people three times. Same offense three times. What happens on the fourth? Well, we're done. Uh, but the fact that they were uh, trying to get some sort of external measure of righteousness is what's driving, what's, what, where, it's where Peter's coming from. It's the, the cultural norm of the day, and it's where, his, it's where his question kind of originated. Because for the religious, it was a visible standard of behavior that aimed at self-justification. It's in order for me to feel better about myself, I can say, you know, I, I forgive people three times. Uh, and so Peter, again, trying to raise the bar to to help him or anybody else who, who maybe wants to go for seven look a little bit better. But it also highlights one of the dangers of legalism. Because it's easy for us to read this parable and say, okay, now I've been given good instruction on how to forgive. Now I can say to you, here's how we forgive. Here's how we're called to do it. Go do it. And you'll say, yeah, right. Or your response should be like that of the apostles in Luke 17. Increase my faith. Because there's no way I can do this. So the point of this parable is not to give you some moral imperative to become a better forgiver or some system by which you can measure your forgiveness. The point of the parable is to show you, point you to, drive you to the Savior and magnify His glorious beauty so that you run to him he is after all the one who's lavishly forgiven us as we'll get to in a second a debt of unimaginable proportions and so i want to drive you to him i want you to run to him because it's only in him that your heart is able to change enough to forgive like he says we need to forgive to forgive like he calls us to forgive so why is it necessary Really, what is it? And I want to I want to get into uh, a little bit of that here. Why Why is it a part of our lives? Why is forgiveness essential? Why is it something we've got to get a handle on? Well, as I mentioned at the outset, it, unless you live on the moon, or on you know, unless you live, I guess, out in the desert where there are no human beings, uh, you're offending people, and people are offending you all the time. And whenever someone is wronged, whenever you are wronged or whenever you wrong or offend or hurt someone, a debt is created. And something has to be done with that debt, okay? So very important to get this. Because at that point, you've got two options. Either you pay the debt, or what? You make the other person pay the debt, right? Most of the time, our uh, tendency, our heart motivation, is to make the other person pay the debt. That's kind of how we're built. That's how culture is directing us. Okay, they offended me. I'm going to make them what? Pay. We even say that. I'm going to make them pay. So look at verse 27. You get into this parable. I want to jump right to the middle. Because this servant has been forgiven. He well, he, 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 he comes and pleads, falls on his knees. Verse 26. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 27 kind of summarizes forgiveness. 
and shows us or points us to what we need to be doing. So first, we need to have compassion. Out of pity for him, verse 27 says. Now, literally, what that's saying is that his heart went out to him. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Gospels, uh, you know, and if you're not, then this is a, a, a little Bible trivia for you, so to speak. The word that's used the most often to describe Jesus' emotions throughout the Gospels is he had compassion. His heart went out to. He, he took pity on. And then whoever it's talking about. But that is by far the most often used term for Jesus' emotions. So it's clear here, this king, Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about the way in which he works. When someone comes to him and asks for pity or forgiveness, his heart goes out to that person. So for you and I, first thing we've got to do is to have compassion, to identify with that person, to get into their shoes. And what tends to happen when you and I are, uh, when a wrong is done against you and I, and when we're offended, instead of accentuating the, the ways in which we're the same as that person, you it, say someone lies to you. You would say, you know, so-and-so is just a liar. I would never do anything like that. Oh, really? You've never lied. Okay? So you see how getting in there, identifying with that person, and saying, listen, I, what, now, you're not saying what they did was right, but you're trying to get in there and identify in order to forgive and say to them, uh, I'm capable of the same thing. So instead of accentuating the ways in which you're different, forgiveness allows us, or the first step to forgiveness, I should say, <clears throat> is to accentuate the ways in which we're the same. Uh, there's a great quote by uh, a scholar who says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy, or the person who's wronged me, from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. So I, I don't, when someone... Uh, wrongs me or offends me, my first inclination is to, uh, uh, <laughs> they're no longer human. They're some god-awful, wicked, disgusting thing. I can't believe they would do that. Rather than saying, uh, I'm a sinner too, I've done that before, or I'm capable of that, and trying to have compassion and identify. So, We've got to have compassion and identify with the person. Second, we've got to absorb the cost. Verse 27, again, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, when he forgave him the debt, where did the 10,000 talents go? Does anybody want to, where did it go? Did it just into thin air? No, it's still there. The master actually absorbed it. He paid it. It wasn't like it just disappeared. The debt still existed. But the king chose to absorb the cost himself. And the wonder of this story, the wonder of this parable, what makes this parable so powerful is the, 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 the forgiveness, the, the, uh, the enormity of that debt makes this act of forgiveness so incredible. And if you were listening to this parable told by Jesus, and he says, 
this guy owed 10,000 talents. Lots of scholars have done lots of studies on how much money this would be today. Okay, again, I'm not really worried about that. Suffice it to say, a talent was worth about a year's wages. So he owed him 10,000 years of work. Okay? Compound that with the fact that the number 10,000 was the biggest number in the ancient Near East. Culturally, if you said 10,000, someone went, oh my goodness, I can't even conceive of that amount of money. So it'd be, to me, to us, I guess it would be like me saying $500 trillion. Okay? Can anybody conceive of that? Aside from the federal government. Okay? And it's all on a computer anyway. We can't conceive of that amount of money. They couldn't either. But the, 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 the power of the parable comes out in the fact that this guy owed 10,000, this, this, it's inconceivable. You can't even imagine that amount of debt. And yet he goes out to this guy that owed him 100 denarii, which was, oh, I don't know, like $1,000. And he started to choke the guy. We'll get to that in a second. But we have to absorb that cost. Because as I said earlier, when we are wronged or we offend, a debt is created and someone has to pay that debt, either you or the person that's wronged you. So we've got to identify with them, have compassion. We've got to absorb the cost, forgive them the debt, but we've also got to release them. Verse 27 says, out of pity for him, he released him and forgave the debt. This goes back to the action. The action behind forgiveness. Okay? Because what you're doing in releasing a person is you are choosing to pay the price yourself rather than exacting a price from the person directly. And often you and I might even grant forgiveness long before we feel it. But nevertheless, the call of the scriptures is to forgive. To grant that forgiveness even before we necessarily might feel that we have forgiven the person. Because forgiving is taking proactive action and discipline toward paying the price for the debt created by the wrongdoer. And every time you see that person and paying the price, making them pay, would be you, uh, let's say, verbally abusing them in front of other people. I can't believe so-and-so did this or behind their backs. But every time you choose to not speak about them, every time you choose to, when you see them, shake their hands, smile at them, Every time you choose to pray blessing over their life rather than cursing, that is paying the price yourself. That is painful. It hurts. Because what they did hurt. And so every time you're tempted to want to exact a payment from them, you've got to pay it yourself. So that's the work that lies ahead of us. Why is it so hard to do? Number two. Why is it so hard to do? Well, in general, what makes forgiveness so hard is that we easily forget the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 32, forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. So in the same way that you and I have been forgiven by God in Christ, that is how we are to proceed in forgiving those around us. I'm not saying it's easy work. It's very hard work, but it's work that has to be done. You and I tend to forget 
the amount of our debt to God, this inconceivable amount, 10,000 talents, in relationship to the debt incurred by someone else against us. And our hearts tend toward superiority and pride anyway. This is a great statement. One of the reasons why you and I have such a difficult time forgiving others is because we aren't that convinced of our need for forgiveness. One scholar put it like this, pride won't allow forgiveness, but forgiveness won't allow pride. If you cannot forgive, it's because you are sure that you are not as sinful as the person you're mad at. I mean, you've you've worked your heart to such a degree, I would never do that. Therefore, I have the right to stand as a judge over them. And that's, by the way, that's what holding a grudge is. It's standing in judgment over the wrong someone else has committed to such a degree that you refuse to see yourself as potentially uh, likely to do that or that you're even capable of doing the same thing. Remember verse 27. Out of pity, having compassion, having our heart go out to that person is the process of accentuating the ways that you and the wrongdoer are the same. Okay? Revenge and pride move in the opposite direction. They want to they move you and your heart away from the ways in which you're the same toward all the ways in which you're different. Uh, <clears throat> one commentator on this parable said this, If we fail to forgive our brother, it is only because we have not been forgiven by God. We have not known forgiveness for our sins. There's a subtle nuance here. We do not know forgiveness because we do not confess our sins. We do not confess our sins because we do not know them in our pride. And it's precisely that pride which is the reason for a sense of superiority over against our brother and an unwillingness to forgive him. So as you're thinking through this, a couple of uh, diagnostic questions okay, for us and our, our hearts. Number one, if you had to put a dollar amount on your sin or on your debt to God, what would it be? If you had to put a dollar amount on your sin, how would you... How would you rate your sin? You know, $500 worth of sin? $10,000 worth of sin? Whatever that number that pops into your head is, even after you think about it for a little while, should give you a good indication as to, A, how sinful you think you are, B, how likely you are to extend forgiveness to other people. Uh, what kinds of sins are the hardest for you to forgive? I mean, what when you're offended or someone wrongs you what what are some of the hardest ones you know i really have a hard time with people that lie to me i really have a hard time with people that to me whatever just think through that and then what kinds of people are you most likely not to forgive or or what kinds of people do you struggle to forgive you know people like so and so well that's that's all they do that that's 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 common they normally behave or operate like that. You and I tend to do that. And so I think if we ask, we're honest with ourselves and ask our hearts some of these questions, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We not only uh, tend toward superiority, but as we've talked about before, we tend toward fear. And one of the things about unlimited or unconditional forgiveness that you and I struggle with is we fear becoming a doormat for other people. We fear giving, uh, being taken advantage of. Because if we practice this sort of forgiveness, 
there's a real danger you and I are going to be taken advantage of. Our hearts are not trained to operate like this. And so we, we tend to shrink back in fear. Another reason we've got to be preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. Our philosophy tends to be people get what they earn. And if they've committed a wrong, then they've earned a penalty in our in our book. And boy, we're going to make them pay. And we're going to make them pay over and over and over and over again. And the difficult thing for us in forgiving is that we tend to forget. It's often uh, easy for us to forget the gospel. And at that point, uh, we tend to act more like the world and actually more like Satan than Jesus. We tend to move more in the direction of behaving like him, keeping records. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures and bears all things. Those are the things we tend to forget when we forget the gospel. So, last, how do we get there? There's work to be done. It's extremely hard, and I'm not making light of it. I'm not pretending that it's easy. But the reality is, it's there, and we're called to do it. So how do we get there? How do we become people who practice forgiveness from the heart? Look at the last uh, four verses of the parable. His master summoned him, verse 32, and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, if you don't hear anything else in the time we have left, hear what I'm going to say the next five minutes. The king calls the unforgiving servant wicked because he has not practiced or hasn't learned forgiveness from the heart. Jesus is saying that unforgiveness is the sign, it is the outworking of a heart that has never experienced the forgiveness of God and Christ. It's not that Jesus is saying because we forgive we are saved or because we forgive we are condemned. He's saying if you're if if you're unforgiving, if you're not practicing forgiveness, there's a good chance you've never experienced the grace and forgiveness of God in Christ in the first place. The person who holds grudges or seeks to exact payment from those who have wronged them is in jail, is being tortured, is being tormented, like Jesus said, or like the uh, the king says here. He sends the servant to the jailer. Now, there's two aspects here. Very important. Number one, there's an eternal aspect. You have a maker. You have a king. He's going to settle accounts one day permanently. And you are going to have to answer for the debt you have incurred. He has provided a way for that debt to be paid by the person and work or through the person and work of Jesus Christ. If your faith is not in him, Uh, Rest assured, this is coming. And you will spend eternity in prison. 
But there's a sense in which this can occur in the here and now also. You and I, if we hold grudges, you and I, if we are constantly angry, constantly offended by those who wrong us, we are in jail. Your anger is your jail. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, or exhorts us to not allow a root of bitterness to grow. Because if we allow a root of bitterness to grow, where do roots grow? Do they grow up? No, they grow down. And they wrap around whatever they can find. In this case, your heart. So your heart really is imprisoned by your anger and your bitterness. And so, what Jesus is saying is there's no better way to tell whether or not you have a real relationship with God on the basis of grace than whether you forgive. I hope you hear that. So ultimately, we've got to do two things to become people who forgive from the heart. Habitually, unconditionally forgive from the heart. Number one, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. Remember verse 27? We've got to constantly call our hearts back to the pity and compassion that has been shown us through Jesus. And as that begins to penetrate our hearts, more and more it will overflow into our lives. So that leads me to number two. Not only do we preach the gospel to ourselves, but we've got to preach the gospel to one another. If you go back to verse 15, the first verse we read. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. The Greek word for tell him his fault is a word that Paul used later in the New Testament for evangelize. So if your brother sins against you, there's a sense in which you've got to go back to them and preach the gospel to them. Evangelize them. Remind them of who they are. Remind them of what Jesus has done. And say to them, you're not living like that. For you and I, having experienced the pity of the king, how could we not be a people who show compassion to those who have wronged us? Because as our hearts become more and more captivated by the magnitude of our debt and the wonder of a Savior who would willingly die our death and take our penalty, the relative debts of everyone else will begin to shrink. They'll get smaller. And you and I will be far more likely and far more willing to forgive. Again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that the wrongs that have been done to you should be made light of and they're not a big deal. But I am saying that what we're called to do is identify with that person, absorb that cost, pay the debt ourselves, because if we are doing that, it is the natural outflow of a heart that has experienced forgiveness and mercy and grace of a debt that was eternal and inconceivable. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, being a Christian means forgiving the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Let's pray for the Spirit to work that into our hearts. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you as we reflect on this parable this morning that you would forgive us the debt that you have that you would be ready and willing to forgive us who have offended you, who have done inexcusable things, who have rebelled against your, your, your word 
and your rule. Please forgive us for the grudges we've held, the bitterness in our hearts. And I pray for us this morning as we reflect on this parable more and more, uh, that the reality of our forgiveness, the debt of our forgiveness, would so penetrate our hearts that we would become a people who stand ready and willing to forgive those around us, to forgive the perpetrators in our lives, and to call our brothers and sisters to the same pattern of life. Only through your Spirit and by your power will we accomplish this. And so come and do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.